So in, in the interest of fairness, the, the first question I ask you about two minutes before we go on the air is, <laughs> okay, what are we going to talk about today? And there's no shortage of things to talk about, but then I just popped one off there that seemed to catch your attention. Um, the NFL is now rolling, you know, a yep. couple weeks in. Yep. And you always, I don't know about you, but I always think, You've seen everything, and then something <laughs> happens, and, and it reminds you and humbles you. You go, well, I, I guess I haven't seen everything. Uh, we were just kind of chatting that the uh, retirement of a, a player in the middle of a game, uh, Vontae Davis of the Buffalo Bills, deciding after two quarters <laughs> against the L.A. Chargers, I'm done. That's it. My career's I've over. I've had enough. I, so I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, as you well know, mm-hmm. and I'm totally cheesed off at how their season has gone. I think I, I so I made a post yesterday Surely. on social media and I said I hate football. <laughs> anyway, so somebody somebody commented back, well at least you're not a Buffalo Bills fan with with players retiring at, at halftime. I said, Well actually that's my other team. <laughs> so I'm yeah, I'm not having a great start to the NFL season from a Buffalo Bills and a Pittsburgh Steelers perspective. No, no, but that would <laughs> I'm, there has to be an equivalent to that. I just feel like, as much as I say, well, I think I've seen it all, there has to be somebody else that, you know, is just kind of in the middle of it. But Well, it's something you would have seen in Slapshot or, yeah, know, or yeah, Caddyshock, Caddyshock yeah. or something like that. Somebody just retired. Just, just walked away. <laughs> the weird thing was then then later it was the NFL put out the, the, the social media post on his retirement wasn't even the Bills, and then they're talking to the teammates at the end of the game, and they 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 have no idea what's going on. It's just bizarre. Yeah, only in Buffalo. Yeah, only in Buffalo. Anyways, yes, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting start to the quote unquote fall. It, like, did mm-hmm. we have did we have fall? I went, and if we did, was it no day? Was it no? We haven't. We're hoping it's coming back, uh, but as we speak, um, into another kind of. You know, zero to sixty summer, then zero to sixty winter, right? Like I was supposed to play golf on Friday um, in Canmore for the Rocky Mountain Adapted mm-hmm. uh, Sports uh, Association's uh, charitable golf tournament. And right. I'm driving out to Canmore Friday morning, thinking uh, I'm not so sure we're going to be playing golf in this. No. And yes, sure enough, we it's been rescheduled. I think. For later in September, so fingers crossed that I still get out to play in this in this tournament. You you just never know. I mean, it, I guess we could do the whole podcast on the on the weather, but you just <laughs> you just never know in this play in in this province because you're right. I mean, once you get into September, all bets are off. I've I've shown up at golf courses with two inches of snow on the ground, and and well, you know you're not going to golf. But in the same token, in early October, we've seen twenty twenty five degrees too. Yeah. So I, I don't know why you plan them in the fall. You never know. <laughs> Well, it's because that's when the courses are willing to let you come on. Um, I mean, you and I, you and I could do an entire podcast just on charitable events that we're somehow associated with. Because you were talking about the yeah. the sleds and cowboys, cowboys and sleds, cowboys and sleds event yeah. you were at. Because I, so we're doing this podcast today from my office, um, and I have a I have Bret Hart's yep. book Hitman on my on my desk, and you saw that, and we're chatting about that, and and Bret Hart's book is on my desk because he was a uh, we all we got provided him with an honorary degree mm-hmm. in part for his charitable work. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things you were just telling me about was how he was a coach on the Cowboys and Sleds event on, on Saturday. Yeah, it was exciting. We were looking, you know, I, I, I got to give a little credit here. I'm really excited about this particular event because this was one of those, this was an event that I was able to kind of 
step aside and watch another young guy mm-hmm. kind of get his feet wet organizing Brendan Parker from Global. Mm. And uh, it was, I want to say, so Humboldt happened on, the accident happened on April 6th. So Brendan called me on April 9th on the Monday and said, you know, I'm, I'm devastated. We have to do something. And if you remember, there was just that amazing outpouring of support, like right away. Yep. And, you know, what are we going to do? Well, we'll play a charity game. You know, that seemed to be the the prevailing feeling. And, you know, I know we went at the time, uh, wasn't associated with the, the with CSEC and the Flames, but so we went to the foundation and said, we'd like to do this. And, you know, Candace with the foundation was really honest and said, you know, we've had phone call after phone call after phone call of people wanting to do things. That was part of that outpouring. And uh, I know that initially Brendan, you know, kind of got a little uh, frustrated that we couldn't do something kind of right out of the gate. But then it became the long play is if everybody's going to do something in the short term, what about the long term? And and I give uh, I give him credit. Uh, there was a lot of thinking and you know, if we get back to the fall when people are starting to go back to playing hockey, this might be a good time, or sports really, good time to remind them of not only the, you know, the, the struggles of the survivors and what's going on there, and, and certainly Ryan and the Strong Foundation were, were, you know, first and foremost, but also of all of the groups that played a role in the, in the kind of in the, uh, the triage and the, the, uh, the first responders and the, the, you know, just everything that came out of it. So stars and, you know, organ donation, mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. things that we were talking about in April – and and you know how it goes, David. Something mm-hmm. happens, and man, it's you know we're all into it, and then we kind of forget about it. And I think you know Brendan's vision of this was let's get mm-hmm. back in the fall and remind people. It just so happened that you know Chris Cedarstrand came aboard, yeah, and Paralympic, Paralympic athlete, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely, and a former Western Hockey League player himself. That's right, that's yeah. right, and has a just a phenomenal story, and is just a phenomenal human being, and began working with Ryan Strasnitsky and, yeah. and his recovery and. Then they formed a bond and a connection, and lo and behold, we're you know we were looking for another group, and the West, you know, the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association is a group that I had done some work with, and they're all former hockey players, and were impacted looking yeah. for something, so it, it became became a natural, and you know, thanks to Chris, we were able to secure a venue, and we were able to secure sleds and yeah. and do this, and then I want to say a couple months out, you know, just at a meeting, it kind of got dropped. Geez, you know. Ryan might be able to play in mm-hmm. this, right? Mm-hmm. And then that seemed to really gain some steam. So lo and behold, uh, you hold the event. And um, two things that stand out for me, and, and, and you've done a number of these, but um, to me it's always what's going to be that moment that somebody's going to remember 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And we have all the teams, both teams lined up for autographs, and we had to start the autographs early because people were waiting, and, and we did about an hour and a half of just this giant long line, and Ryan right at the end, and just the emotional response from people. And then to play the game, he was the last one introduced, and, hmm. and I'd say we had 11, 1,300 in Winsport. But as when uh, Mookie you know, said, you know, here, you know, Ryan Stradinsky, the place everybody stood up hmm. and I was just on the ice in the back of the hair hairs on the back of your neck stand up. So it was pretty incredible. Having said that, you know, it was a fundraiser and we were able to raise 15,000 for stars and 15,000 for Strass foundation, which is, you know, was phenomenal. Having said all of that, the idea of a celebrity game or a, 
uh, something built around sledge hockey. Yeah. Wow, was that cool? Yeah, yeah. Wow, was Agreed. that fun? Agreed. Right, in in the sense of that just brought a whole new element to it, and we've we had a number of you know Chris and a number of current and former Paralympians sprinkled in the roster, yep. so we had some ringers in there. Boy, that was fun. That was something special. I'm here to tell you. Well, there's a couple of things that I want to take from from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I. I assume we're at some point in time in this conversation going to go towards the bid. To at some point, it seems yeah, inevitable. <laughs> 2026 Olympic and Paralympic Games. So, and we can we can talk about some of the potential legacies and benefits of hosting a Paralympic game. So you think about the, yeah. you know, just the offshoots of what you talked about on Saturday. The other thing that I thought was kind of neat too was the opportunity for Ryan to play hockey with his dad mm-hmm. um, on Saturday, and that, you know, that opportunity. Um, for children's and, and their parents to connect through sport. And I, that, that resonated with me last week. And I, I thought about that when I was watching the story. Now, you know, I, I wasn't able to attend the game because I was at a bagpiping camp with my youngest son. That's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But I, so on Friday, I was invited. I got a last second invite to play this coming Friday at the Banff Springs uh, golf course. Mm. Um, and as you know, I'm a, I, I like golf. I'm not particularly good at it, but I do like thinking that I can get better at it. Um, and my dad played at that course. My dad, my dad's birthday would have been on Friday, would have been his 80th birthday. So he's uh, been passed away now for, I think, 12 years, 10, yeah, maybe 10, 10 years now, I guess. Anyway, so he played at that course in 1963 with a couple wow. of friends. Uh, had driven out from uh, Guelph, Ontario in a little Volkswagen Beetle to kind of see the country with his friends. And had played that course. And so I'm, I'm connecting with my mom to try and see if he took any pictures of being there because mm-hmm. I want to recreate the picture. Absolutely. You know, and in my club to this day, I still carry one of his, or in my, ba- my bag, I carry one of his clubs. And so, you know, th- through sport, through recreation, and I, I, I guess part of me is trying to, process, I don't know, talk about the good things of sport mm-hmm. and the importance of sport and the value of sport. And to me, that was a very, very small way that I connected with my dad was through golf because he really liked golf. I, I wasn't a particularly big golf fan, but maybe that's my way of still connecting with him now that he's passed on and playing on a course that I know he played on. And I'm sure I'll be emotional about it on Friday, but I was thinking about Ryan. So here he, you know, the, and they, they had the you know, they televised the Humboldt's first game yep. back last week. It's yep. still very much in our public consciousness as it should be. And there was an opportunity for him to still participate and to play yep. uh, with his with his friends, with his Goombas, with his dad, um, and to still still be a hockey player. Uh, and to me, you know, there's that's the value of sport there. And you know, so when people talk about so now this is the roundabout mm-hmm. way because you and I had been chatting about this earlier. Mm-hmm. This bid to host uh, an Olympic and Paralympic Games. Those are the those are sometimes those little things that I think get lost in the economic debate and the return on investment and the, how mm-hmm. much dollars is this going to cost us? Is the value of sport and the little moments um, that are not little? Yeah. They are big moments yeah. uh, within perhaps perhaps smaller contexts, and it's hard to. It's hard to detail those. It's hard to quantify those. It's hard to articulate those and itemize them in a way that then balances up with the $5.3 billion price tag. But there is huge value um, in sport. There's huge opportunity in hosting something that grandiose but also that pervasive Mm -hmm. um, where you can have those moments such as Ryan and his dad playing on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. 
it was it was really interesting because you know they they took they did the opening ceremony and then the face off and they were very much connected you know it was very much you know Tom and Ryan in this game the focus i think shifted in the second half to Ryan and mm. It was interesting as an observer, and I, I only talked with him briefly afterwards. And, and uh, Lord knows I've done this long enough to know that I cannot put thoughts or, you know, translate what somebody's thinking. I'm just visually what I saw was I saw a young man who, you know, maybe was looking at this game as be, or this charity event as being a little bit more important than the rest of us mm-hmm. were in the sense of, okay, can I do this? Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to play in a game. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I thought there were a couple of times where he got a little frustrated because the, you know, the, the play was very scrambly. He wasn't mm-hmm. playing for the most <laughs> part. He wasn't playing with very good players, right? Um, he ended up scoring twice in the in the in the mm-hmm. second, and I think the first one, he, he appeared to maybe just a little bit frustrated because there was some overpassing and trying to set him up, and then the second <laughs> one was you know very much yeah. kind of a hockey play on a really bad goalie. That was me, um, <laughs> but it's it's true. It's it's so true of. You know, that connection here you are talking about your dad in Bamp Springs. And, um, you know, before what I said is I am so focused on memories for especially for kids that they take for the rest of their lives because I have them. You have mm-hmm. them. Clearly, you knew you remember your dad going there and, mm-hmm. you know, talking about it. Um, you know, I I remember being five years old and my dad stepping out in the ice to coach, help coach my team, my first mm-hmm. hockey team and how. I didn't realize what I was feeling at the time. It was pride. It turns out it's pride, but you know, my dad's on the ice with me. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of connections. Yep. The more opportunities that we open up, the broader opportunities that we open up, we can't, you know, I'm beyond thinking that everything's got to be hockey-related. Um, you know, I, I have a, a really good friend whose uh, daughter is, is now in the Luge program, mm-hmm. and now he's the kind of the president mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. local association sort of thing, and you know, there, there's a connection there that they share, right? It's just a little bit closer because it's a smaller sports and niche sport, yeah. a smaller community. It's just these are all of the doors that open up. And just that whole parent-child relationship, mm-hmm. you know, just because we're there, that's another benefit of this that, you know, nobody's going to stand in front of city council. Nobody's going to stand in front of a microphone and nobody's going to stand and pound the table and say, we've got to do this so parents and kids can have memories. Right. But it is part of it. It happens. Yeah, and, and and what I would be, what I would be very, what I would be sad about, is if so. We're coming back now to the, I guess, the plebiscite and the the conversation about bidding uh, to host the games. Yeah. What I would be sad about is if we lost sight of those smaller benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think many of us know intuitively um, and can understand and have examples of but yet they're not the the economics they're not the dollars yep. and cents yep um and it yeah you know this is going to sound really preachy but at the end of the day right i mean it's it's those it's those familial and the relationship things that we we value more mm-hmm. than the dollars and the cents anyways so yeah. i again i would be very sad if you know a decision gets made purely based on the economics of something uh, and overlooks the other intangibles. But won't it, ultimately, won't it be made on that basis? Well, I don't think it has to be. I, I mean, I think I think the question right now is is whether or not we should or should not bid. Um, it's not whether or not it makes economic sense. Yeah. Um, and so, 
I, I hope that it remains on the whether we should or should not, and that the economics is part of the conversation mm-hmm. and part of the discussion, but it's not the end all and the be all. See, I, 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 this particular one, having not really gone through any other, you know, bids this big, but I've, you know, I've been around communities that have wanted to be part of things in a smaller way. Mm-hmm. It always seems to boil down to the economics. It always seems no. down to ultimately who's responsible. And ultimately, you know, and it's, it, you know, I don't mind sharing this. Speaking of parents, you know, I, I, you know, sat down at the dinner table last week and, and my mom turned to me and, and she said, so how should I vote in November at the plebiscite? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, wh- what do I think about this? I said, well, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, and it struck me as there lies the rub. No. I mean, the information's there. The information is there. If you want it, you go get it. You can disseminate it. And I know that there's some on either side that'll say, well, is it really the information or is it doc? You you can put the effort in. You can put that work in. I just don't know. Let, Let me ask you this. When that plebiscite comes, what's the percentage of people... And I don't mean this derogatory. I mean this is a kind of a, a question about our current society and the way we go about our business. How many people will have actually read one full page or more yeah. of information? No, no, that's that's, that, that's voting. Yeah, well, but, but could, could, yeah, could you not say that about most elections? Yeah, yes, I absolutely. Um, but then the podcast would get a different name, <laughs> probably a different home. But no, no, ab- absolutely. But it did. It, it yeah. struck me as. You know, as, I, as my mom's asking me, I'm saying, well, all the information's there. Yeah, but you're following. You just tell me what. Right. You, tell know. Me, you tell me how to do. I, yeah. I, I was reading recently that with elections, uh, the pe- people spend way too much time trying to get the voter who was undecided mm-hmm. uh, to sway to their side, whereas really what they need to focus on if they want to win, quote unquote, uh, the election is... Uh, getting the people that are already on their side to actually vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually is the crux of it. It's, yeah. it's the mobilization of the people that have already made a decision because the actual number of people that are sitting on the fence is rather insignificant um, and really doesn't ever play into the actual win or loss of an election in, in, the, in the reality of things. So coming back to your comment, you know, the, it, the election may be already done. Right now, people may have already decided whether mm-hmm. they're for or against. The trick might be is whether those two groups vote. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so people may have made up their minds without actually, quite honestly, even having an inkling really of the depth of the discussion. Right. Um, they, they may tend to sway one way or the other simply because that's their... That's their that's their gut feeling. Yeah. Um, and any amount of information that gets shared with them perhaps is not worth the time and the energy and that the focus should actually be on the mobilization of getting people to show up on the 13th and I, cast their ballot. That is my my biggest fear in all of this is is voter apathy. And and that does trans that mm-hmm. transcends. This is not this no longer becomes a sports conversation. This is yeah. just more societal. Um kind of that belief you know for for as long as i've been of of age of majority or age to vote i've always been fascinated by that every vote counts yeah because that is a daunting thing to stare at and think about and go really me just me but it but it does in the grand scheme of things and it is it is an interesting 
uh, exemplar too, in the sense of, I mean, yeah, this is a big price ticket issue. There's no question about no it. No question. But, I mean, there are other big ticket issues that we've gone ahead with without having plebiscites over them. True. Uh, the LRT line, the, I mean, the tunnel at the airport. Yeah. Um, art installations yeah. uh, across the city. And I guess we always, the ring road. Um, and I guess we always go forward with the assumption that we have elected officials who are elected mm-hmm. uh, to make these decisions for us. And that we don't need to have to go to the polls every time that there's a question um, that they want feedback on. But, you know, for various and sundry reasons, this one is. So why is this different? Why, why this one? Well, I, I, I don't know the specifics. My understanding is that the provincial government... Um, well, yeah, they did trigger it, didn't they? they I think they wanted to, to have a sense of where the, the city of Calgary was right. at um, to move forward. And, and, and I understand the political aspect of wanting to make sure that you're reflecting and respecting the wishes of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting that this is the one instance where we've done it, whereas compared to others, we have not. See, I've, I've felt, but I, 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 I have felt that it was somewhat, I, for the lack of a better term, cowardly in a way, that, mm-hmm. uh, no, you know, we'll, we'll put it to the people. It's that whole idea, again, we're not really in that sports atmosphere. You know, in sports, you have a general manager and a head coach and presidents and owners, and they go about and they make the, they make their decisions. Right. They live and die by their decisions, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. In, in this, this, this one particularly seemed like, hmm, the winds seem to be blowing that it's controversial. Maybe we'll just, yeah. you know, it, it's so easy to say, well, we're letting the people decide, but then what are we electing people for, yeah. right? And this one struck me, and I know why, I agree with you, or I don't have to agree with you, it's what happened. The, the province linked it to the, the funding, mm-hmm. did they not? That, that's my understanding. Yeah, um, yeah it's true. I, I have mixed feelings. I, I think there's value in it, in that it certainly encourages and increases public discourse on the issue, and I think it's engaged people mm-hmm. uh, to talk about the potential benefits and the potential costs. Right. Um, so I think, if nothing else, it's allowed people to feel that they can have a voice and that they they are part of it, which is a, a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, but where, it, yeah, where it can get tricky is uh, it, it can go off the rails pretty... I mean, with the, the day and age of fake news, I'm like, you know, who do you trust anymore? How do you know what is true, what is not true? Yeah. Um, well, let's, say let's I go, I go back to the information. The information yeah. is there, but at the end of the day, do you trust that information, yeah. right? Yeah. What's the line about democracy being the best form of government? Uh, I can't remember what it is, but it, I think, you know, if we were a dictatorship, or mm-hmm. uh, it would be much simpler and much easier. And, yep. and as long as it was a benevolent dictatorship, we'd all be good. Yeah. Um, but exactly. that doesn't seem to always be the case. So, right. you know, the, the democratic principles and the processes that we have agreed to have their flaws. Um, but I, again, it's the best, it's the best one that I know of. It's striking what you say though, about that whole group of undecided, you know, that at the end of the day, exactly how many people are going to be moved Mm -hmm. one way or the other. Right. And if, you know, I, I look at either side, no or yes, probably no more. So I think if, 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 if it gets defeated, it goes away over time. If if the um, if the if, if the games go on and we get the bid and we move forward, I, I'm wondering about that that segment of the no population. What happens to them? How many of them then come on side, yeah. or or do they just you know continue to be vocal through the whole thing? Right. right? Uh, well, I, th- I mean, I guess the optimist in me would say that 
both sides want the same thing. Um, they want a better city. Uh, yeah. And then it's, I guess it's just the path to get there right. that they're diverging on. And I guess what I would hope is that whatever choice gets made, that either side is able to accept that mm-hmm. and still then think, okay, well, that, 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 that bridge has been crossed. How can we still make our city the best city that it right. can be? Right. Um, and so if we decide to move forward with a bid, you know, can the no side allow that group to be as, I don't know, fiscally prudent? Because it seems to me that the no side is, is really against the, just the, the money being spent. I, 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 uh, I, I don't want to speak for yeah. them, but that seems to be the general consensus is there's that yeah. lack of faith of this being properly run yeah. and the ability to, to come out of it at the other side ahead. Yeah, and I, I realize I'm really oversimplifying yeah. this. Whereas if we decide not to go forward with it, the yes side seems to me to be on the opportunities and the what you know what can Calgary become. Mm-hmm. And so even if we choose not to, then I would hope that there's still a legacy of the bid. Um, that we've had these conversations, we've had these discussions about who it is we want to be and how we can get there. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think increasing the public discourse about everything is as the the library the the two bird uh statues that yep. they have in front of the library and the yep. value of that and yep. the importance of public art or the lack of importance of public art I, I think all these things are good conversations for us to have as citizens of calgary and of you know members of and i you know i live in cochrane so i can't call myself a citizen of calgary but um yeah but you're part of the bow corridor i'm part of the bow quote unquote bow corridor yeah and you know we're all interconnected. I think I think there's value just in that. So if we walk away even from the the bid process, I still think there's a significant legacy that's accrued and resulted from this entire process. Yeah, I I, I I'm really trying to to find the way of of kind of articulating the you know the path forward for everybody. I, I let me ask you this before we go forward. Let's go backward. What did, what's this conversation look like 10 years ago in Calgary? If the, we were having this conversation with a booming, robust energy sector, yeah. with a just a jammed downtown core, yeah. with, you know, at that time, that sense of <laughs> the good times are here to stay, you know, uh, to me, I guess when I'm looking, the word I'm, I guess I'm trying to articulate is, I think there's a little more desperation on the yes side in, in some folks, and I might be in that category that, if it isn't this, what's what's going to get us rolling here? What what would this have looked like ten years ago with times being what they were? Well, I, I actually think that conversation took place. I I was not part of it, and I don't I don't recall kind of who was driving it or leading it. But Calgary actually did put forward a bid to host in 2010 mm-hmm. as it Quebec City, and yeah. and ultimately Vancouver was chosen. Um, so clearly, it didn't have the same public. Uh, no, I don't remember it. Veracity or, no. or or profile that it does today, and perhaps that speaks to the, what you're talking about with, you know, Calgary. I, I don't want to say losing a bit of losing its mojo, but um, kind of wondering where is it going? Yeah, uh, yeah. Who will we be? Who will we become? And if and if we don't, you know, grasp onto something of this international nature and and significance, will we fall back? Uh, into something we don't want to become, uh, and, I, and I don't know, I don't know if that's true or not. But I think there is some fear in we've come this far, we've continued to grow, we've we've accelerated perhaps beyond 
what many people thought Calgary could or would become, but we want to continue that moving yeah. forward. Yeah. We want to continue being a you know a top five city to live in um, by all kinds of different metrics. And will we continue to do that, or will we slowly go? Yeah, what, again, I, I'm, I'm not remembering my lines today. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying. So there's no there's no stasis. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. Absolutely. So you've got to go one way or the other. Yeah. And I think what what maybe the yes side is seeing or, or thinking is that if we don't continue moving forward with this, there could be the potential to decline um, and to kind of get into that morass of woe is us. It's kind of like the Eeyore phenomenon, right? And uh, like, oh, we're very sad. And, and, and I, you know what? Bad. And I think that, again, you know, I, I struggled to articulate the word. I think the word is there, uh, is is desperation. And mm-hmm. I think I'm in that category that, mm-hmm. you know, I love my city. Uh, I know what my city is capable of. But I'm kind of watching here in the last decade and going, well, they're doing something. They've done something. Yep. There's something unique there. Um, you know, and maybe maybe I'm too myopic because I'm only looking kind of from the spectrum of sport. And, and I wouldn't want to say that there haven't been positive things. But here we are, 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. 2020, the earliest we might get a field house. Even, yeah. if, they deci- if, even if they decided tomorrow yeah. to build a field house. Yeah. We don't have that. We still have arena issues. You know, I know from my work with right here at Sport Calgary that we've got all these other great, if you will, non-native sports t- to Canada and Calgary that want to grow in, mm-hmm. you know, Aussie rules football and, yeah, you know, cricket, and all of these things, yeah. right? They all want space. They all want their opportunity. I'm, I feel a little bit desperate, to be perfectly honest, that, you know, we need kind of this shot in the arm. We need this boost. Yeah. Not at all cost. Not Never at all cost. Yeah. But I, I would put myself in that category when, when it comes to kind of the yes group. Calgary is a funny city in that respect. When you think about all the great and uh, uh, forward-thinking and innovative things that the city does from a sport infrastructure perspective, I don't want to say it's pathetic, um, but it, it's not what it could be. It, yeah, and certainly when you compare ourselves to, you know, our our kind of com- comparable like like cities in North America. Um, so again, the oldest arena in the NHL, uh, with the exception of Montreal, the oldest stadium mm-hmm. in the CFL, uh, no field house. And again, I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure about the accuracy of this comment, but I think we're the only city over, uh, it's a hundred or 200,000 or 150,000 people in Western Canada that doesn't have a field house. Right. Um, like that's, that's ridiculous. And, I, and, and I don't think people, I don't think yeah. people understand that. Yeah. Like I, there's what four in Edmonton. Yeah, right? I was I was just going to say so. Exactly. So Edmonton, our sister city, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. has four, um, an, a, a brand new arena, a stadium that is 25 years newer, um, and can seat, you know, 30,000 people more. But uh, it's been constantly upgraded, and too, it's been right? upgraded since then yeah. as well. Yeah. Whereas ours, you know, again yeah. has had limited upgrades. Um, it was built in 100 days. How much upgrading can you do, right? <laughs> I just, I, I'm flummoxed as to why that's why that's the case, how how we have allowed that to happen. So let me, I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate here or just kind of thinking on my feet, but, you know, you look at Regina and, and the new football stadium. What a, you know, the, mm-hmm. it's a palace. It's an absolute palace. You look up at Edmonton and the Ice District and things like that is maybe part of it is that this particular city, Calgary, hasn't necessarily wrapped itself in the identity of its big teams and necessarily hasn't wrapped itself. Because I don't want to say we don't view ourselves as a sports city. 
I, I would almost say that in a way we, we almost view ourselves um, more broadly in sport than some of those, you know, there's very much a bunker mentality when it mm. comes to Edmonton and the Oilers. And, you know, yeah. we're Oilers fans and we're the only ones that get to criticize. You can't. Nobody right. else can say it. You know, we know what rider pride is. We know how that defines that. I'm wondering if Calgary's just a little bit different, if we're maybe hmm. more broad in that sense. of Perhaps. Yeah, and maybe... sporting identity. Maybe it's because so many people from here aren't from here. Transient, yeah. Uh, and have come from somewhere else. So maybe there's another argument as to why 2026 is so important, hmm. uh, to galvanize the city and to recreate that sense of community that 88 did such a good job mm-hmm. of. Um, and then we went through that massive growth spurt in the 90s where we be, you know essentially almost doubled in size and yep. so many of these people came from elsewhere yep. and so a games will give us that opportunity to kind of reconnect and to create that sense of community that perhaps bring everybody back under the tent yeah. so to speak yeah, yeah. Uh, you know I mean that's that that you're always hoping yeah. for that right you're always hoping for that but it does fascinate me a little bit about the sport and the identity mm-hmm. of, of how you view your city. Mm-hmm. Right? Even even university sporting facilities, you know, again, you compare us to other institutions in Western Canada. Um, we are, our, our facilities are, are, are older. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean worse, but, you know, I look at, in, 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 you know, the University of Saskatchewan is just about to build a brand new rink. Yep. Um, you know, University, University of Alberta has all kinds of new facilities that have been built in the last couple of years, yep. including one of those field houses that we talked about. Um, whereas the University of Calgary, Mount Royal, SAIT, uh, their athletics and recreation facilities have, haven't really changed much. There's a lot more shared. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more that are shared within the yeah. community, so to speak. Not that the, the ones up in Edmonton aren't shared, but, yeah. you know, uh, where we are, you, mm-hmm. you know, the hockey team here plays at you know, at a rink that's very close by, but, yeah, but it's a community, really, yeah, it's, it's a, a community com- property, yeah. right? You know? So even, even at that level, now I guess where perhaps Calgarians are leading is in the development of the recreational facilities. I mean, having a, you know, something like a wind sport within the city limits, mm-hmm. uh, the two new Y's that have been built most recently, Rocky Ridge, and now I believe it's in Seton. Um, and I think at the time, Rocky Ridge was the largest Y in the world. And now I think Seton is the largest yeah. Y in the world. So, Spectacular facilities. Certainly growth and development um, and innovation in those regards. But in in the other athletic facilities that I'm more familiar with anyways, it seems to me that we are lacking that ability to take the next step and the the wherewithal to risk and to to think bigger. Yeah. Well, it's funny here we are talking about the Olympic bid. Kind of the, the 2026 battle within this country is the... You know, does Calgary go for the Olympic bid? And we already know that the World Cup is coming, right? Yeah. And, and we don't have a role to play in that. No. And you got to start saying Olympic and Paralympic bid, right? Sorry. Yes. Me better than everybody, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Because, so, that, because yeah. that does. No, no. But that bears the conversation because I'm yeah. not sure you're correcting me, but how many times have we been watching this process out? Right. And, you know, that that's one of the things, back to my mom, one of the things I told, you know, my mom was based on a conversation we had is this is an accessible city, but it's not the most yeah. accessible city. Right? Yeah, yeah. So again, we talk about the potential yeah. benefits of hosting a games, and that that could be one. And I think that's one of the reasons why I try to remind people to say Olympic and Paralympic because I think there are significant upsides. It's a values based investment on a Paralympic Absolutely. games. I think there's tremendous opportunity there that perhaps we just haven't even considered. No, but and here we are talking about the sport. But I think of the two, the Paralympic component 
will likely have the more dramatic impact mm. on society, don't you think? Potentially. In terms of the, the yeah. people within our city. Just in, again, we're talking so much about yeah. uh, facilities, but to make those facilities, because I go way back to some of our first conversations. And again, you tell me if I'm wrong, but there are opportunities for disabled people and disabled athletes that aren't necessarily being taken advantage of because we don't do a good enough job of promoting them yeah. and letting people know. Agreed. I, I think yeah, I think for people with disabilities, um, the awareness of opportunities is limited. I was at an event that the Calgary Corporate Challenge hosted on Sunday, and the Canadian Paralympic Foundation had a number of booths down there if for no other reason than to just kind of alert people to the opportunities, whether it's the Disabled Sailing Club in Calgary mm-hmm. or the Disabled, you know, uh, opportunity for para canoe and kayak in Glenmore Reservoir. Right. Sport has, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and take it another direction. Right? Sport has an opportunity to allow us to have conversations about social issues, whether it's, you know, Nike signing Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Um, and so the racial side, whether it's Serena Williams um, yeah. and the outburst that she had at the U.S. Open as it relates to women's rights. Mm-hmm. A Paralympic Games, I think, can do tremendous things to bring people with disabilities into the civic discourse, um, into our conversations about what is equity, um, what is fairness, what is, you know, equality of opportunity and those sorts of things that... I can't think of another example, particularly for people with disabilities, where it can showcase that. So for me, that's the upside. That's that's the benefit of a Paralympic Games. How big how big is the audience? How big is the maybe audience is the wrong word, but how big is the pool? How big is the opportunity for you know? How many people out there could be participating? Yeah, and that's that's a tricky one, and it's hard to it's hard to get numbers on that. Quite honestly, I mean statistics. Are, are hard to understand in this context. So when, when people identify themselves as having a disability on the census, it comes out to about 10 to 15% of the population. Mm-hmm. Now, of that, how many are over the age of 70? Um, yeah. it, that, that we don't know. Yeah. That, that we don't have a fulsome understanding of. Um, so, and, and what even is defined anymore as disability mm-hmm. changes and ebbs and flows. Uh, from a Paralympic sport, it's physical disabilities, what right. we're focusing on for the most part. Right. Um, and so that's a small subset even within the broader umbrella of disability. But, you know, I would say that the benefits accrued um, by a Paralympic Games talking about different abilities and different ways of doing things, I think has benefit, not even just for people with disabilities, quite honestly, but just for humanity. And I, here I'm really getting into... No, no, that's you know, fine. But I think I think it allows us to talk about differences. Um, you know, and whether, you know, as parents, we all have, you know, with our children, you know, we, we see them through a different lens and they may have all have unique abilities and unique traits. And I think what this does is it allows everyone to understand that, we're not all the same. We don't all have to measure ourselves and compare ourselves to each other. It's our own achievement. It's our own ability to pursue greatness uh, and to compare and, and to compare ourselves that way as individuals as opposed to a, a collective. So the Paralympic movement to me does that. Um, the number of people that perhaps could be impacted and become participants and become more physically active, I don't, I don't have a, a strong understanding of that specific number. But it's still significant. It is. Um, It's important. It's still, there's still great value in, even if it's a small number comparatively uh, to the general population, 
there is still value in that to me. And I would also make the case, too, to bring it kind of full circle in this conversation, we started off talking about, you know, Ryan Stretznitsky and his dad playing mm-hmm. together, playing yeah. sledge hockey together. We've got to get past and understand that, you know, and you know this as well as anybody, for some para-athletes, they need able-bodied athletes to participate with them so that they can get better. Yeah. There is no reason... You no reason sledge hockey. There's no reason for sledge hockey to exist as only a game for Paralympians or disabled athletes. That they should have their own ability to play in those in the uh, the Paralympics that way. But there's no reason why we can't be getting the next best players developed in their hometown with able-bodied players helping them out. It's a sport that could stand on its own. Wheelchair basketball, another sport that can stand on its own. There are plenty of them that. We've got to get past the stigma of, well, they're only for yeah. handicapped people. Yeah. They aren't, right? Yeah, and now that, that, now that doesn't play through with every uh, sport for no. people with disabilities, but no. there are certainly examples. And I think, and I think that is a, a great aspect to it, that inclusiveness. And, I, you know, the wheelchair basketball that you made mention of. So here at Mount Royal, we run it as an intramural activity for students mm-hmm. who have disabilities and students who don't have disabilities. And the wheelchair itself is an implement that you use to play a sport in the same way. It's not a sit-down version of stand-up basketball. It's a sport where you use yeah. a wheelchair to play a game right. in the same way that you would use a sled or a bobsled to go bobsledding. Um, but in that, so in that particular instance, it makes great sense. And I think it does, it's a, it's an opportunity for people to play and recreate together. Yes. Um, but I would hate, I just, I would hate for people to think that all able-bodied people can play all disability sports. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But there are opportunities. Yeah, I agree. There are opportunities. And that's one of the other areas that, you know, an opportunity that presents itself in Calgary to make more rinks accessible. Exactly. Exactly. You know, then then you can bring more people under the yeah. tent, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what we've done? <laughs> we've solved nothing. We've solved nothing, Dave. 